Breen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Each week, we explore the beliefs shaping our world. And sometimes that means listening to voices not often heard on mainstream media. It's something we're excited to be able to do, because listening to different points of view widens our lens on the world. Pundits, many with no firsthand experience in Afghanistan, are propagating theories and fears about the country and those desperate to leave. This week, we take a closer look. The majority of Afghans do identify as Muslim, but there is tremendous diversity in the way in which they practice. And the majority reject the Taliban's extreme ideological interpretation and practices rooted in the Diobandi and Wahhabi movements. Afghanistan is not the same country it was in the 1990s when the Taliban first rose to power. Today, there are schools and universities public utilities and banks, hospitals, and networks of women and girls, not only getting educated, but learning skills and producing goods to support their ability to earn an income and so much more. Now that the Taliban has seized control from the democratically elected civilian government, what does the future hold and what is the state of play among the extremist groups now vying for power? Later in the program, I ask those questions and more to counterterrorism expert Abdul Basit. But first, we begin this week's program with reflections from an Afghan-American who leads the Center for Afghanistan Studies at the University of Nebraska in Omaha, Sher Jahan Ahmedzeh. In addition to his work at the university, he serves on the board of the Afghan-American Foundation, it's a nonpartisan nonprofit led by leaders in the Afghan diaspora advocating for services and for policies to support the growth and development of Afghanistan. Ahmed Zay is worried about the broken promises, the retribution, and the risks his family and friends face in the country today. Before immigrating to the United States to pursue his graduate studies, he worked in the administration of the former President Hamid Karzai. My name is Sher John Ahmadzai. My studies brought me to the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I am the director of the Center for Afghanistan Studies. Our center has been here since 1972, so almost 48 years. We have been working in Afghanistan, in around Afghanistan, in the countries of Central Asia and South Asia and I'm running the center since 2016. The last 10 days have been overwhelming for all of us, not only from my engagement through media, but also with uh, my engagement with people on the ground in Afghanistan, because I have an affiliate office of our center in Kabul that was badly damaged three weeks ago in a bomb blast. Our office was not targeted, but it happened to be in the neighborhood where the attack happened. A few days later after the attack, Taliban overran Kabul city. Now, the compound we have is not in our control, uh, given what's happening in Afghanistan. 
um i'm in touch with colleagues family and relatives so emotionally psychologically i am overwhelmed by what i hear and i get from afghanistan we lost the result of our 20 years of effort in a matter of few hours that was disheartening uh disappointing for for me for my family for my friends um here in omaha nebraska and in afghanistan so it has been a week of stress disappointments and pain for all of us here you might see that disappointment in my voice too when i talk to different people around the country around the globe uh how we lost afghanistan when we spent blood and treasure because i have been talking with veterans with civilians who served in afghanistan and i have not seen anyone who says it was a very good decision that has been very difficult for me to take we have not seen evidence of the taliban being very much different or different at all from who they were in the past they say that we are not the the ones we were in the past in the 1990s they say we will respect the women's rights we will give them rights to educate themselves we will let them go to schools and universities but it is very early to even suggest that they have evolved because i have not seen any evidence of that one on the contrary we have been receiving reports from provinces that taliban fighters are making families to marry off one of their daughters to their fighters in northeastern afghanistan and the same time in kabul yes there is a small number of women going out in prisons yes we have seen on medias women coming back on the screen but at the same time we have seen reports where a journalist of afghanistan's national radio television went to start back to her work she was told don't come back because we have changed our policy we will not let you work in the national radio television we have seen other women going back to their work were not allowed to work we have seen reports heard reports of uh, university students in herat university when they uh, went to attend classes they were uh, turned away from the gate of university we have heard reports of executions i have seen pictures of dead bodies actually on social media after taliban control ghazni province and we say that they have forgiven everyone we have not seen a widespread evidence of that one people are still in 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 provinces uh, reportedly disappearing now international media has been focusing on kabul because it's a capital city and we have forgotten about the rest of the country the provinces we don't know what's happening in the provinces in the villages and there have been revenge attacks humiliation of the people who previously sided with the Afghan administration of Afghan government i've heard from people that i know from the area where my ancestors belong that humiliation of elderly people who previously supported the administration of the previous government they were publicly humiliated why are they running away from afghanistan why are the brightest and the most educated running away from afghanistan every day i am getting requests from faculty and professor that i have worked with asking me for help help me get out of afghanistan why is there worry because the memories of the 90s and what they see right now are fresh in their minds and that makes them worry for their future i have friends who told me personally that he 
he's hiding right now because the, the Taliban had come after him and knocked and asking about him. Who knows if he faces those people, what will happen? Are they going to beat him? Or are they going to kill him? Or are they going to just question him? The constitution of Afghanistan was approved in 2004 by Loa Jirga, a very traditional system of Afghan culture. I was talking to one of the Afghan ambassadors to Pakistan who was in touch with Taliban leaders in Pakistan when they started negotiations uh, many years ago. And he told me a story of his discussion with one of the Taliban leaders, specifically about the constitution. He's quoted that person. He said, they have not found any un-Islamic thing in the constitution. But the only reason is they were not approving of that one because they were not part of the process the constitution was approved. And there could be some of the uh, changes that would answer their point of view of religion in the constitutions. So they never considered the constitution of Afghanistan un-Islamic. The only political reason they had was because it was done under the auspices of the Americans. The Taliban force itself is a very young force of the last 30 years or 25 years. The same is true with the rest of the Afghan population of 35 million people. Uh, estimates are there that more than 50% of the population is around 25. And this is the population that was raised with development, with freedoms of speech, of gathering, and freedom to elect their leaders, and freedom to education where girls could go to schools and universities and learn and aspire to be what they want, be musicians, be engineers, be technology people. And they had opportunities to connect with the whole world through their phones, through TVs, through traveling. That is the part that makes me hopeful. And that is the part that would create problems for Taliban. There is a generation of Afghans who were born after 9-11 who had never seen Taliban brutality of their first regime. So they cannot stand up and they've already been standing up. For example, when Taliban went to different provinces, they took down the national flag, the tricolor national flag of Afghanistan, and youngsters didn't like it. They came out after them. They put back that flag and some of them were killed. In Jalalabad, for example, a few of the youngsters were killed because of the flag protests. There were protests in Khost province, there were protests in Kandahar. It's gonna be difficult for Taliban to suppress that population if they're not accommodating their demands. Because that's a different generation of Afghans who was brought up with different values than what Taliban were in the 1990s. The Afghans fought with the United States, with a group the United States called an enemy, not the Afghans. This was a joint fight between people who considered those people enemy. President Biden said the Afghan army did not fight ask those more than 60,000 Afghan soldiers who fought side by side with the American forces in Afghanistan and got killed. The United States lost 2,500. The Afghans lost more than 60,000 soldiers who died for the values that we enshrine here in the United States. Sher Jahan Ahmadzai serves as the director of the Center for Afghanistan Studies at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. He is a member of the board of the Afghan American Foundation based in Virginia.
Coming up, my conversation with counterterrorism expert Abdul Basit, who shares insights on the Taliban and the challenges they face after seizing control of the country. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. 